This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is Baldy's Breakdowns, the podcast, a radio.com sports original. And welcome to episode number nine of Baldy's Breakdowns. The week of the NFL draft is upon us. Jason Martinez and the man, Brian Baldinger, right now at Baldy's Breakdowns. Baldy, I know that uh, every minute that we get closer to this NFL draft is another minute of excitement. It's compounding for you. How you holding up and how you ready for this draft, man? It's gonna be, I, I can't wait for it because it's kind of normal. Well, I think uh, they had a mock draft on Monday. Uh, we're taping this on Tuesday here. So uh, they had a mock draft around the league on Monday. There was a, quite a few glitches, starting with Cincinnati uh, right well, off the of bat. Yeah. But – uh, you know, I think everybody, you know, when I talk to guys around the league, I mean, you know, doing these Zoom conference calls about players uh, and kind of going through uh, all the different scenarios that might happen. And I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of business as normal. Yeah, it would be better if everybody was in the same room and they're all looking at the same chart. Um, but really, they're still getting their work done. I mean, talking to general manager on Saturday night, they got, you know, they can still get every medical record of any player that they want. Uh, you know, that's that's just all emailed in. And, you know, you, you can't get your doctor to put their hands on them, but you can look at all the MRIs and all the x-rays. You can read what every single team doctor has said, the, the, the surgeries, all that kind of stuff. So they're getting a, a, a great deal done. I think it's, it's going to look odd because we're not going to have two networks, ESPN. It will be on ESPN on Thursday night, Friday and Saturday. We'll know a lot of the characters, you know, they're on. But I, I think as we get closer to it, I think the teams are all kind of, you know, this is what we're, this is what we have to do, and we're going to do this, and we're going to be really good at it. And I think they've all kind of adjusted. Hey, Baldy, is there some anxiety that you're sensing from people that you're talking to going into it? You, you know, you mentioned the technical issues, and I saw saw a report that the NFL has confirmed on a conference call that the league does have the ability to pause the draft at any point if a team or trade call experiences some technical issues. So is there some anxiety with uh, general managers and, you know, guys running their draft board? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, I, I know one general manager who's got three young kids. Uh, they're all, you know, at home. Um, you know, I mean, kids are kids. They're running in and out. The dog's loose. They're chasing the dog around, you know, the yard. I mean, all, this stuff is just, you know, it, it's just not the controlled environment that they would like um, or they would prefer. But that's – but that's – you're not going to hear one complaint out of any team, uh, considering what everybody else in this country and world is at is with right now. I mean, everybody has to kind of deal with it. But I, the anxiety is there for sure, Jason. But nobody's going to voice it and nobody's going to say it because it's going to fall on deaf ears when people are out of work and all the other you know issues that are out there right now. 
Yeah, and it's not like you can just tell your family, hey, go go outside and take a walk somewhere or go to the mall or something like that. Um, Baldy, one thing I found really interesting is that the NFL has issued a strict dress code for the uh, players participating in Thursday's virtual draft, uh, <laughs> which is kind of odd. Uh, do, do the draftees adhere to the dress code? And does that make any sense? I don't know if it makes sense or not. Uh, it's not unusual that the league would do this. I mean, you, they have uniform police every Sunday out there on the field. If your socks aren't the right length, if you've got the wrong logo on your, you know, on your wristband, whatever, you're getting docked. So it doesn't surprise me that they're enforcing a dress code. But, you know, players are going to, they're going to make their statement. However, not everybody, but there's going to be certain guys who are going to make statements about how they present themselves. I mean, it's probably not the right time to do it uh, in the environment we're in, but players are going to do it. Yeah, yeah, they'll take the opportunity while they have it and suffer the consequences later if they are, in fact, there. Baldy, we're going to get to a few things here before we get to our defensive breakdown of the 2020 NFL Draft. We did the offensive breakdown last week. You were awesome in breaking down all the different position groups uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and we'll get to the defensive side of the ball. Um, But there's a couple things I want to hit you on uh, on real quick. Um, First and foremost, um, you you look at Vegas odds for uh, the Patriots right now, Eight and a half win total. That is the lowest in 17 years mm-hmm. for the New England Patriots. A lot is to be determined with this draft and maybe who's even under center. You still have names like Flacco, Jameis, Andy Dalton, and Cam Newton out there. Uh, does what happens for the Patriots this weekend determine where they decide to go in the quarterback class? I think it's, I, I, I think a large part does. I mean, if they go out there and they select Jordan Love in, in the first round, um, you know, I think it kind of takes them out of that quarterback pool. But, you know, they believe in competition. They have a lot of, you know, they have a lot of money right now. So they, they have flexibility, which is probably always a good thing. But I, I anticipate them drafting a quarterback pretty high in this draft class. And it won't surprise me at all if they do it, um, you know, in the first round. I mean, to me, it would make perfect sense. I mean, they pick as high as they picked. In a long time, they picked at the number 23rd spot. And so when you look at, you know, what they might do, I mean, I think Jordan Love is going to be picked in the top 25. Might not be everybody's favorite cup of tea, but there's a, a great deal to like about his arm strength and how he can throw off target. And in some cases you go, man, is that Patrick Mahomes or is that Jordan Love making a throw? So uh, I'm not comparing anybody to Patrick Mahomes, but he he has – some traits that Mahomes has that kind of makes you go wow a little bit. Yeah, and there's and there's even some chatter that the the uh, Patriots maybe even try and move up as far as to the top five. So you never know what kind of variables. Well, they have, they have three threes. They have three threes, so they have yeah, a lot, a lot of, of a lot of equity, a lot of equity. And there's those third round picks. You know, in a lot of people's eyes, are starters, starting players. So they they do have the flexibility to do that. If a player they covet, uh, and everybody knows the relationship that Nick Saban and Bill Belichick has, I mean, mm-hmm. if Tua Tonga-Vailoa would happen to slip, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but it, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Patriots try to get up to get him. Yeah, and we heard a lot about his medicals this past week and uh, his doctors uh, essentially sending, uh, for lack of a better term, the facts to all the teams 
and uh, he's got the clean bill of health. So th- does that put teams at ease? You mentioned, you know, got, not getting eyes and hands on guys, but when you get those kind of recommendations from the doctors that he is good to go, uh, is, is that enough for NFL teams, uh, maybe for a team like the Patriots to really move up and invest well, in heavier, think, to get up and get them? Yeah, there's a, there's a, a, a firm track record of injuries. You know, the dislocated finger, the two high ankle sprains, you know, the dislocated hip. I mean, there's a track record there. Every year that he played, um, there was injuries. And the offseason, too. So I, I, I believe the doctor. I mean, he's got I mean, he's got his credibility on the line to try and give him a clean bill of health if he isn't a, a clean bill of health. I, I believe he's healthy. It's just a question of, you know, some teams that are in the quarterback market, are they – are they scared by the, by the injury history? And some teams clearly uh, will be. And then some teams are just going to go, well, it's all part of the game, comes back, and when he plays, he plays, and the town is supreme, um, and, they're, and they're just going to roll the dice with it. And I, there's going to be a team that's just going to roll the dice. It may be Miami. Uh, who knows? It may be the Chargers. It could be Jacksonville. I mean, it could be the Patriots. There's a lot of teams. The, uh, the Saints, there's a lot of teams that will be interested in drafting a quarterback in the first round. Um, he's not getting out of the first round. Uh, I don't believe he should get out of the top five. But, you know, the, the, the injury history is there, and it certainly is going to scare some teams away. But I don't think it's going to scare all of them away. Yeah, and the hip probably is a really scary one. Hey, Baldy, you just mentioned the Jags, and it's a team I, I wanted to ask you about because it seems like Rome is burning uh, in Jacksonville. We know uh, the Jalen Ramsey situation that played out this past year. He got traded. Um, the Jags now apparently may be interested in Andy Dalton. There's some rumors out there. Leonard Fournette may be on the trade block right now. We know what's going on between the owner and Nduque. I mean, what is going on in Jacksonville right now? It seems like it's sort of an exodus. It, it's just a it's just a massive purging. I mean, we're talking about two less than two and a half years ago. They're in the AFC Championship game, up twenty to ten, yeah. on the Patriots in the fourth quarter, and let it slip away. And all we've seen thus far is we've seen Tom Coughlin get removed. We've seen coaches, uh, you know, be removed. Doug Marone is still there, but players want out. Jalen Ramsey wanted out. He got out. Um, it's, it's a combination of things right now, but if you're Yannick Ngakwe and you're 24 years old and you're on the verge of superstardom in the fact that you're going to get your franchise tag, but somebody, you know, might want to give you a contract and pay and, and pay the freight to get you. I mean, do you want to be stuck in whatever this is, this purging going on in Jacksonville, or do you want to get someplace where you got a chance to win? And Fournette feels the same way. And so players have seen – that they can get out of there. Clayus Campbell got out. Uh, Kevin Smith, he was a, a, an all-pro linebacker, or a Pro Bowl linebacker. He didn't want to come back and play last year. He, he didn't. He just stopped playing. Um, you know, the, the corners are all gone. A.J. Boye is gone. I mean, it's just a massive purging. And the players see it, and they just don't want to be a part of whatever comes next right now. Yeah, and the fact that you see players uh, trying to force their way out and leaving, that that gives fuel to a guy like Yannick and Fournette. It, it, they go, okay, it worked for those guys. I yeah. want out now too. So, And it's getting very public, and a lot of it's about playing out on Twitter, and that's never a good thing. No, I agree. And, and But that's – you know, but that's they, – they're willing to play it out on Twitter. Just to – they don't care if they create a fire. Uh, the players, they, they it's clear that they want out. 
He's seen Jalen get out. Uh, you know, Fournette is going to force – I believe he's going to force his way out, even though he's coming off a good season last year. And, you know, if they – and Yannick Ngakwe has made it very clear. I mean, if he doesn't sign his franchise tender and he decides to hold out, I mean, are you better off just trying to get some compensation for him for an unhappy player? I mean, those are the decisions that uh, that they have to decide on in Jacksonville right now. It, it is getting crazy. And before the draft, it's always kind of silly season. We've even heard some chatter about Gronk to the Bucks and coming out of retirement. Uh, I mean, obviously, Brady there, that would be uh, bad news for a lot of teams in that division to get those two reunited. Uh, down there in uh, Tampa Bay and the Buccaneers. Um, I saw something else here really interesting, Paul. I, I want to get your thought on it. And, and I thought it was a little tone deaf uh, what Kirk Cousins had to say. And one of the things that he mentions was that playing in empty stadiums, if it comes to that, and the NFL does have to start without fans, he said playing in empty stadiums will kind of be refreshing. Now, <laughs> these football players have not played in an empty stadium since uh, they were playing peewee football, <laughs> you know, when you get in high school and everything, the stadiums are packed. Uh, but to say that I thought was a little tone deaf to, to, to the Minnesota fan base and NFL fans in general. I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, they, they, they built a brand new stadium, U.S. Bank. Of course, you know, the Eagles were there in Super Bowl 52 to win their Super Bowl inside that building. But anybody that was there that weekend for the Super Bowl, anybody who's been there, it's a beautiful facility. I grew up in Minnesota, I was a vendor for the Minnesota Vikings when I was a kid at Metropolitan Stadium. They've got a tremendous fan base. I mean, tremendous fan base. I mean, all you want to do, I don't care what the situation is, is just you, you should always cater to your fan base. They should always get the benefit of the doubt. You should always um, give them all the credit for everything they have to do to endure in you know, ticket prices and everything else on Sundays. I, I thought it was pretty irresponsible to, you know, to really kind of say anything like that right now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And fans are are dying not only to consume the product they right want now. To go back. I mean, fans want to go back. I mean, yeah. look, everybody is, you know, nobody wants to go back there if there's threat of COVID nineteen being contagious. But you know, by the time we get to September, we're hoping that we have certain panaceas and remedies in place to be able to calm all those fears down. It still may not uh, calm everybody down, but I mean, the idea is to get back and, you know, to be in a stadium to like, I mean, literally, I mean, if you're a Viking fan and you got Packer fans inside your stadium, you're going to be hugging one another. I mean, it's just the way it's going to look and it's going to be a tremendous feeling if we can get to that spot. Oh yeah. It's the communal feeling of sports. And by the way, just tip of the cap uh, to, to guys like Khalil Mack who donated $350,000 to a better Chicago and a lot of NFL players doing uh, good thing, good things in, in this pandemic to raise money and help uh, and help uh, the people of their individual communities out. So I just, just wanted to mention that as well. You're going to see a lot of that, by the way, Jason, Thursday night. Uh, throughout That's great. The, I mean, you're going to see uh, a ton of charity work that has been done that is being done. Um, community services, uh, you know, what the NFL is doing. I think we're, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty strong, uh, we're all in this thing together message that I think the NFL will deliver on Thursday night. Yeah. And even uh, a certain beer company is uh, yes, trying to I find a that. way to get people to boo the commissioner uh, virtually. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all amazing. Right. I, you know, the yeah, whole booing of commissioners in sports is, is tired. 
<laughs> well, I, I got to give credit to Goodell because he he takes that booing and, and handles it pretty well. I mean, I remember when the draft was in Philadelphia at the Art Museum steps, he's like, come on, you guys can do better than that. You got to taunt them. So, you know, Jaws didn't want to hear those boos, man. He, you know, he, he'd heard enough of those at Veteran Stadium, you know, playing in this in this city. Yeah, and Jaws was uh, so much responsible, Ron Jaworski, for uh, bringing that draft to Philadelphia and this year. Of course, it was uh, slated to be in Las Vegas. That's not going to be the case. But all right, Baldy, let's get into the uh, the nuts and bolts, the Baldy's breakdown portion of uh, this podcast. Uh, again, we did the offensive side of the ball last week, uh, and this week we focus on the defensive side of the ball. And, and just like on the offensive side, a team's fortunes for – uh, the immediate and long term can be greatly affected by an NFL draft and who they take. And if they do them, at, take them at the right spot. Immediate help sometimes. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time for that player to be an impact player in the league. Let's start up front, though. Let's start with the defensive line and the tackles in particular. Uh, who, who do you see in this draft that's the impact players? Maybe some value a little later in the first round or even in the second round when you look at the defensive line and the D tackles. Well, I mean, I think there's two top 10 defensive tackles in this draft. And it depends on really what your flavor is. But there's Derek Brown and there's Javon Kinlaw. Um, you know, Kinlaw, I mean, they're both bigger Fletcher Coxes in my mind. I mean, they are Fletcher Cox. Uh, I think Kinlaw has a chance. Uh, Javon Kinlaw to South Carolina is 6'5". He's 326 pounds. And when you look at him, I mean, he ran, he didn't run his uh, 40 time, but when you watch him pursue the ball, he looks like he's around a four nine at somewhere around 325 pounds. Uh, he's massive. He's got long arms. He's got the wingspan of a seven foot man. All right. Um, Derek Brown is just a wrecking ball in the middle of Auburn's defensive line. Number five. And when you watch Derek Brown, I mean, he's 6'5", he's 326 pounds. He, you know, he ran a, a good time. I think he'd probably run a little bit better. I mean, those two guys are top 10 picks. Uh, everybody, you know, and, and if you think about this, Jason, if you think about the last few Super Bowls, like go back to, you know, Philadelphia and New England and Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham getting the ball out of Tom Brady's hands. I mean, he he he, he won that that pass rush from the – defensive tackle position, the defensive, if you look at Aaron Donald and what he is doing, if you look at, you know, last year's Super Bowl with what Chris Jones in Kansas city did, these games are being affected by defensive tackles, almost more than pat edge pass rushers. Uh, to me, there's not many Fletcher Coxes, Aaron Donald's Chris Jones. There's not many of those guys in this league, but there's two in this draft. And I don't think that they can get out of the top 10, although that might just because of quarterbacks and, and everything else. But they'll push the wide receivers down. These, these two players are elite. And I believe that Javon Kinlaw, if somebody finds a way to, like, just keep the fire lit in that kid for 16 weeks, you might have the best defensive player in this entire draft. I mean, he, he, is, wow. he, is, he is something else to watch on film. And, and you watch him against Alabama and you watch him against the best. I mean, he was a dominant, dominant player. Baldy, uh, when, when you talk about Derek Brown, uh, there's his one of his teammates, Marlon Davidson from Auburn as well, uh, ranked pretty high in this draft. Is he going to be good value somewhere, maybe early to mid-second round for, for a team? Well, I mean, he's, he's, he's been a four-year player at Auburn. I mean, you know, he's 6'4", he's 300, 
over 300 pounds. You see him rush from the defensive end spot. You see him at every spot up and down the defensive line. I mean, I think he's an interior player more. But, you know, I mean, he runs like, you know, a lot of defensive ends in this draft at 303 pounds. He, he's a great player. I mean, he really is. Number three for Auburn. I mean, him and, and Derek Brown, I mean, they're they're something to watch now. They've controlled the defensive line there. They were a very good football team uh, the last couple of seasons, spearheaded by a really talented defense. I think he's probably a second-round pick right now, although I could see somebody, you know, taking him just because of the value of defensive linemen right now and, and the different places that you could play him. You could play him in a 3-4 as a five technique. You could play him in a 4-3 as a tackle or an end, uh, you know, as a, in the nickel, you could play him inside or outside. Uh, I think he's got a lot of value. I mean, I think he's just a, a really versatile player right now. Is there a specific team that when you, when you look at, you know, at the, at the top here, when, when you're looking at uh, the defensive tackles and for Derek Brown or Kinlaw or Blaylock or Gallimore out of Oklahoma, uh, a perfect fit. Like if you look at Kinlaw and you say, man, if he, if this team X grabs him, he's in a perfect situation from a scheme standpoint. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, San Francisco is picking uh, number 13. I mean, that's the pick that they got when DeForest Buckner got traded to the Indianapolis Colts. And the strength of the 49ers team this year was their defensive line. I mean, it was a shark f- feeding, a shark frenzy, practically every weekend. Now, Nick Bose was a big part of it, and Eric Armstead was a big part of it, but they let DeForest Buckner go. But, I mean, if you wanted to keep the strength your strength, Javon Kinlaw in San Francisco, um, you just keep the, maybe the best defensive line of football, the top defensive line of football. I think it's a perfect fit if he if he survives and lasts to number 13 right now. Yeah, and John Lynch has a couple of first-round picks, and uh, he seems like he's uh, looking pokerish too and willing to deal and maybe move around as well. Yeah. And then and you, and you're right, Baldy, they sustain and they keep that great defensive line, and it just doesn't cost as much with that trade that they made. Right. It's, it's well, a that, good that, fiduciary that, move. Yeah, you know, you're, I mean, and, and so if you look at, you know, Indianapolis, you go, okay, like DeForest Buckner is a really good proven player. He's still young. He's just going into his, you know, fifth year. I, but man, if you get Javon Kinlaw, I mean, you might be getting a better player. I mean, he's bigger and he looks to be more powerful. And DeForest Buckner has got tremendous power, but you might be getting a better player at, you know, a rookie salary for the next four years. So I don't know, like, look, I understand what Indianapolis is doing. They had to get better on their front, but you just looking at the draft. I mean, you got two guys there. I don't think Derek Brown would ever survive to 13, but maybe Kinlaw does. And if he does, I think San Francisco can really stay on top of that division just by that move alone. It's tremendous foresight by a general manager to, to handle things that way. And good on John Lynch for doing it. Uh, let's move to the edge rushers, uh, Baldy. Uh, this has become more of one of those uh, kind of glory positions in the NFL. Guys that can impact a football game, especially if you have – good interior defensive line to, to really kind of free up your edge rushers. And we've got a really impact, a high-end impact player in Chase Young. Uh, a lot of people have him ranked as the number two overall prospect in this draft, and some of you have him number one. Uh, Chase Young at Ohio State, how does, uh, you know, quarterbacks moving up in the draft, maybe offensive linemen, how does it affect his 
uh, place that he's going to be taken? Who do you like as the edge rushers in this draft that can be really impact players at the next level? Well, you know, Chase Young is a dynamic, dynamic player. Um, you know, first of all, you look at his his size at, you know, 6'5 and 265 pounds. Um, he didn't run at the combine, but by but if you just look at his takeoff, he's got a much better takeoff than Nick Boza did, who's the second pick in the draft. And Chase Young is going to be the second pick for the Washington Redskins. And if you look at the history, recent history of second picks, I mean, Julius Peppers was the second pick. Nick Bosa was the second pick. Chase Young's going to be the second pick. And they all turned their franchises around. Um, and Chase Young has that ability. I don't think he's got the power. I, I said this last week and, um, in, a, in a podcast, and, and I, it kind of came off wrong. He is – there's a lot of different ways to win this league. You can win with power and strength and, and all that, and that's what Nick Bosa does. Chase Young, it's not he's, – he's not a finesse player by any means, but he has tremendous – his first step quickness – I mean, he beats people with his first step. I think he's got a long way to go. I think he can become a much better player than he already is. Um, th- there's just one of them in the draft. There's nobody else that comes close to him. Uh, he can play left side or right side. Uh, I-, I think he's, you know, Washington already has four or five number one picks on the defensive line, but he's going to be their best player. Um, and I think, you know, Ron Rivera has been around some great defensive linemen. Um, this is going to be the next one. He, he's just a dynamic player that can beat you with first step quickness. And if you blink, if you're laid off the ball, he's going to be by you. And he's, you know, he's slippery as can be. And I think he's just getting started. I, I think he's only going to get better. And he's one of those guys that when you're playing any team that he's on, you circle and go, we got to worry about this guy every play he's on the yeah, field. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, LT was the second pick in the draft, and that's what we had to do mm-hmm. when I was at Dallas. We had to literally set our 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 protection to LT. We changed our protections to handle LT after he ruined us his first year. Yeah, he ruined a lot of people over many years. That that was such an incredible player. Uh, any other guys uh, on the edge that uh, you know yeah. you see? There's some guys out there. There's nobody like Chase Young, but I mean, I'll give you a few. I mean, Penn State, Yatur, Gross, Matos. He's really long. Um, you know, he, he's six foot five. He's he's 265 pounds. Uh, he had a good good career at Penn State. Um, you know, he's got a lot of things that you like about him. Uh, I think that, you know, he can rush inside over the defense, over the offensive guard. He can rush outside. He might be a better inside rusher than outside rusher. He didn't run at the combine. I don't know what kind of speed he has. Um, Lacavon Chason from uh, LSU, number 18 for him, is kind of an outside linebacker type. I think he would fit really well in a team, let's say like Pittsburgh, that, you know, that runs a pure 3-4 defense. Uh, most teams, you know, get to their nickels as quickly as they can. So he'd be a stand-up um, outside linebacker, pass rusher. I think that's where he'd be best suited. He's a very athletic guy. I don't. He doesn't have a great deal of power, but he can beat you with quickness. Um, you know, he's certainly a guy like that. Um, I think AJ Epinesa from Iowa. Um, you know, this was the first year that he actually started. He started all 13 games this year, and he's a good player. He, he did not run particularly well. He ran around five flat in Indianapolis, but he's got, he's got a Samoan background. Um, his father's Samoan. He's got tremendous Polynesian power to him. Uh, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, I think that, you know, 
people just have to decide, you know, when you get to your nickel package, is he going to be a better pass rusher from the inside or from the outside? And I think people are going to look at him and go, okay, he's going to be better on the inside. And then I'll give you one other guy here. Um, Daryl Taylor from Tennessee is a, just a chiseled piece of stone, number 19 from Tennessee. He's really a hand-in-the-dirt 4-3 defensive lineman. Um, he, if you watch him against Mississippi State, he was just a complete terror. Uh, I didn't see it in every game that I watched against Georgia. He didn't look like that to me. Um, he's kind of more listed as a linebacker, but I think he's, he is a pure uh, defensive end. He's 6'4", he's 268 pounds. I think he's going to run when he does run. I, th- I think he's going to run somewhere in the four eights. Uh, but he is really, really powerful. And I think he's got a great speed to power move. I would compare him right now to probably a young Cameron Wake. I think he could be that kind of player because that's yeah. how he looked. A very powerful guy. Great stuff. I, I, lo- I love the defensive end. And it's going to be so interesting, Chase Young. And if he ends up in the NFC East, uh, I'll get to see quite a bit of him. Uh, Baldy, the linebacker groups, boy, this is this is a good linebacker class at the top. And it's led by Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. Uh, real good player, three-year player for uh, Dabo Sweeney down there in Clemson. A lot of success. Um, and he's a guy that's going to be one of those ones, uh, linebackers, that's going to – you're going to have to circle him and, and really keep an eye on him when you game plan against any team with his, Isaiah Simmons. Uh, does, he, does he portend well to the next level uh, at the NFL? And uh, how many linebackers do you kind of see going here in the first round? We could see upwards of maybe four. Three for sure, maybe four. Let's start with Isaiah Simmons because if you say, okay, what's, what, who is Isaiah Simmons? Um, I, I, you know, in, in basketball right now, the Golden State Warriors kind of showed you in their reign of championships that, that really the NBA became positionless basketball. You know, I mean, you, you see it now all the time. Like, there is no such thing as just a pure center. There is no such thing as – I mean, everybody's got to be able to handle the ball. Uh, anybody can run the break. That's what Golden State – so that's – to me, the NFL is quickly becoming positionless football. Derwin James is that guy right now with the Chargers. He could be your free safety. He could be your outside linebacker. He can be um, your matchup against tight ends. He could be a, uh, an inside linebacker nickel. And that's what – Isaiah Simmons is. I mean, you watch him at six, three and a half and 238 pounds run a four, three, nine, 40. I mean, you watch him play free safety and he covers as much ground as anybody. You watch him, let's say in the national championship game against LSU and he's covering slot receivers. Um, you know, he's blitzing. He, he's just a chess piece. So let's just say, let's just say the giants don't take him at four. Let's say the chargers take him at six. If you have him and Derwin James on your defense together, okay, you know, along with Bosa, you know, the whole and Ingram and all the guys you have, you've got such flexibility. If you're playing the Chiefs, all right, you could basically take Travis Kelsey out of the game. Tyreek Hill, you can cloud him with an Isaiah Simmons or Derwin James and really eliminate the deep ball. I mean, you've got tremendous flexibility in how you want to match up with guys like that. That's what Isaiah Simmons is. He is a rare chess piece. It's up to the defensive coordinator to really figure out the best way to use him. And if you could do that the way Clemson did, then you're going to get yourself a bona fide superstar. 
if he's sitting there at seven by any chance, that it, Matt Rule jumping all over that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, they lose Luke Keekley. Yeah. Uh, they lose a bunch of defensive ends. They're in complete rebuild mode. Uh, but, you know, Phil Snow is his defensive coordinator, and Phil Snow has been with Matt at, at, at Temple and at Baylor. He was Matt was with him at UCLA. I mean, he's been running NFL uh, blitzes uh, throughout his college career. He'll do. He knows what he's doing, how to get to the quarterback. And Isaiah Simmons will be a big part of getting and affecting the other team's quarterback. And I, I, I think that would be a great pick if somehow he would slip to seven. Yeah. Uh, what's your feelings? Uh, give us give us a quick capsule on on Murray, Queen, and Bond. Uh, other potential first round options at the linebacker position. Well, Murray, you know, came into uh, he came to Norman, Oklahoma, as a 17 year old freshman and started right away. And started every game. Um, you know, he's he's 20 years old. He's a grown man. Uh, he's you know, you put the whole defense on his shoulders. He's going to be able to call your defense, get your guys lined up. He's going to have a notebook in his hand. He's going to come ready to work every day. <clears throat> the um, he, he he's he's got good size. You know, he's, he's six two and a half. And he's 241 pounds, and he, he ran a four five forty. Um, you know, he's he's what you're looking for. The you know he's a sideline to sideline guy. <clears throat> I don't know what he's going to be like in the power game with fullbacks coming at him, and you know offensive guards pulling around like they do in the NFL. But I have a feeling he's going to adjust just fine. And Patrick Queen is a little bit lighter. He's a little bit faster. He's only six foot. He's 230 pounds. He's he's a little he's a little faster. He's a little better coverage guy only because at LSU he was asked to do that more in the SEC than Murray was. Um, but I think you could kind of go back and forth between the two. Uh, but I think that I think both of them are first round picks. Just the way last year we saw Devin Bush and Devin White go in the first round. Um, I think you'll see these two go in the first round as well. And I would go, I'd go one more guy here. That is really interesting, and that's Willie Gay. Uh, you know, out of Mississippi State, he only started, I think, five games, but he is might be the most talented player. You know, he's six one and a half. He's two hundred forty five pounds, and he ran a four four six. Now he was suspended at Mississippi State, missed a lot of games. I'm sure people are going to red flag him, but when you see him run and you see him hit, you go. There's so much to work with. Now, he's not going to get drafted in the first round, Jason. It may be the end of the second round or the third round. I don't know how well he finds the ball. I just know that I'd want to coach that guy. And I, I think you might have a real star player if he really finds find some instincts about how to find the ball. If he can do that, you might have as good a middle linebacker as there is in this draft. A great gem that you get there late in the second round. Uh, all right, Baldy, it's time to move to the cornerback position, and we got a good one at the top of the cornerback class here. Uh, Akuda at Ohio State. You know, we talked about Chase Young, uh, but Akuda is another guy with the top five potential without question. Could it could go as high as number three, maybe to Detroit? Well, you know, when Urban Meyer was there, I mean, they just, you know, they had they had prerequisites. I mean, he had to be six foot tall. This guy's over six one. He's over 200 pounds. He's long. He runs in the four fours. Um, you literally can, he's literally a guy that can trail um, your number one wide receiver every week. I mean, that's, that's what he's going to be. He's going to be a number one corner. Um, he's the first corner in this draft. 
you know, he can tackle, he can blitz, he can play the ball in the air. Uh, there's really nothing not to like about him. He, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be as good as Marshawn Lattimore. Lattimore is an elite player, but he has all of the talent that Lattimore has. I don't know if he's as physical as Marshawn, but he's got all the talent that Marshawn has in New Orleans. Um, and, and I think that's what Akuda is going to be. Uh, I think he's, I think it's Akuda. And I think there's a little bit of a drop off. I mean, the next one that I'll talk about, he's not my favorite player, but a lot of people, he's the number one corner and that's CJ Henderson from Florida. He wears number one. Um, he feels like he's the best corner. He just is not a good tackler. And not just that, he doesn't look like he wants to tackle. And that bothers me. Uh, I've seen a lot of, you know, defense coordinators and head coaches in this league say it's not a big deal to them. Rex Ryan was a big proponent of that. Give me corners that can cover and keep the ball from, you know, getting into the end zone, and I'll have nine other guys that can make tackles for me. I mean, there are some people that just subscribe to that, and C.J. Henderson kind of knows that. So that's the knock on him, but he is he is fluid. He's fast. Uh, you know, he's, he's almost 6'1". He's a 205-pound kid. He runs a 4.39. You know, I mean, he's he's what you want as far as being able to shadow these wide receivers. I mean, you watch him against Jamar Chase at LSU. And Jamar Chase will be the maybe the number one receiver in the draft next year. But Jamar Chase is a stud. And, I mean, he can run with him like nobody else. Um, I, I think he's the number two corner. He probably, he probably doesn't get past the Raiders at number 12 right now. Um, people may trade up for him. I mean, he's just that type of a talent. Like I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, the biggest fan when it comes to tackling. But there's a bunch of other guys. Jalen Johnson right now is a guy, you know, out of Utah that has, you know, he's six foot and runs a four or five and, Really good tape on Jalen Johnson. There's A.J. Terrell at, at Clemson. If, if he didn't have such a bad national championship game, he might be the number two uh, corner in this draft. I mean, again, these guys have these metrics. He's 6'1". He's 195 pounds. He runs a 4'4", flat, you know, 40. Um, but Jamar Chase just ruined him in the national championship game. Christian Fulton at LSU is, you know, uh, has, has great, great talent. Um, you know, same thing. He's six foot, you know, he runs in the four fours. I mean, these guys, you know, the metrics are all there. Six foot, four, four, um, you know, like to play press man coverage. I mean, all those guys could do it though. My favorite guy out of everybody outside of Akuda is Jeff Gladney at TCU. He just doesn't have the size that a lot of these guys have. I mean, he's yeah, only five foot, foot. Yeah. he's five foot 10. He's got all the speed. He's a pit bull out there. I mean, he loves to challenge anybody. He's not six foot. He's not six one. He's five ten, but he's been well coached by Gary Patterson at TCU. Um, you talk to anybody about him, they all love him. You know, but they, you know, they everybody's looking for that six foot corner that can go up against these guys. You know, with these fade balls, with these you know jump balls in the end zone, all the stuff that's going on out there in the NFL. They just want a bigger, longer guy that can play that ball in the air a little bit better. But Gladney is is a guy that I'd want on my team. That's tremendous second round value for you, Baldy, on Gladney? Yeah, no doubt. I, I, I think I, – I don't think he gets in the first round. I mean, I, I think people have – I think there are people that have a first-round grade on him. But my guess is he's, he's going to be at the top of the second round. 
Are, are there teams that maybe, you know, you mentioned so many teams value the metrics, uh, the six foot runs a four, four, those kind of things. But is there anybody in particular that you go, you know, they look more just at the football player. And when you look at a guy like Gladney, he's just a good football player. He's a good football player. You know, we had Charles Davis on um, last week and his, you know, his number one sleeper was Amrick Robertson at Louisiana Tech. Well, he's not a sleeper anymore, not just because Charles said that last week. I mean, people know Emmerich Robertson. You ask general managers around the league, he's he's 5'8", you know, 5'8 and change, you know, and that's the knock on him. He's really 5'9". But, you know, 15 interceptions at Louisiana Tech and crazy ball skills, just has a knack for it. And, you know, I think he can play outside in this league. You know, I mean, what's the difference between him and Denzel Ward, who was the fourth pick in the draft to Cleveland a couple of years ago. He's, he's five foot nine. He's been in the pro bowl. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's had a number of interceptions in this league. He's a good player. Um, I, you know, he, he can, he can, he can flat out play. So, uh, you know, I, I think you've got him like you always do. You have him every single size, but people are, there are people that just fall in love with these metrics and they got to be six foot to be, to be drafted. And, I think you're going to miss out on guys like Amrick Robertson if you just stick to that formula. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a great great point. And yeah, you're right. Charles did bring that up as one of his uh, uh, surprise guys in the draft a couple episodes ago. Uh, let's go to the safety position. Um, you know, not really a, a safety class here that's going to going to wow a lot of people, but at the top of it, you got a couple of guys uh, with Xavier McKin- uh, McKinney out of uh, Alabama and Delpit out of LSU. What do you think of these players? Well, I mean, they're 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 star players. I mean, they were high recruits. Um, you know, Xavier McKinney has got everything you're looking for. He's got speed. He's got range. You know, he tackles really well at Alabama. Um, it's been hit or miss with Alabama safeties in the NFL. Um, but I, but the thing that you know you like about him is he could drop down. He could cover your slot, and that's what you got to be able to do. Uh, you know, if you you look at you know a guy one of my favorite players in the draft two years ago, one of my favorite players in, in the whole league right now uh, out of Alabama. Uh, w- when you look at, uh, you know, a guy like uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, I mean, the Miami Dolphins gave up on him. He went to Pittsburgh and had immediate impact, but, you know, I don't know if Xavier McKinney is, is Minka yet, but he's got that ability to drop down and cover and take the ball away. Uh, Grant Delpit, Two years ago, you'd say, okay, five interceptions. He's Thorpe Award winner, you know. Um, you know, he's all world. But then you, you, you see him miss a lot of tackles this year. And you go, what is that all about? I mean, he's got all the size that you want at LSU. Um, you know, he's six two and a half. He's 215 pounds. He's, you know, he's got size. He's got range. Um, you know, but he's just missed a lot of tackles. And, you know, th- there's nothing worse than your safety missing tackles. And so it's, it's kind of a concern. Uh, it should be a concern. And then, so, but I, I think he's got, I think he's got first round talent. He, he may not go until the second round. Sometimes you see that with safeties. Uh, but there is Kyle Duggar at Lenore Ryan. And, you know, you go, okay, Lenore Ryan, you know, these small school guys. I mean, he's, he's 6'1", he's 217 pounds. He ran under a 4'5". Um, he vertical jumped as high as anybody in the entire you know, draft at 42 inches. I mean, he's got crazy athletic skills. And he's probably, 
you know, I mean, he could go in the first round, no later than the very top of the second round. Uh, but he's a guy that you know, is on everybody's radar. You, you'd love to, you'd be one of those guys you'd love to have a personal workout with, you know, that you can't have. You'd love to be around him. You'd love to see what his swagger's like. You know, I mean, Lenore Ryan isn't playing, you know, they're playing Elon College. You know, I mean, you just love to see him against bigger competition. And you're not going to get that, but you got to project in, in this day and age. Um, just like you do with Jeremy Chin out of Southern Illinois, who's 6'3", and he's 220 pounds, and he's a 4'4", four, 5'5", four, guy, you know, and crazy measurables, you know, how he jumps and, and ran at the combine. But he's a guy that is not going to get out of the top of the second round. So there's some small school guys that, you know, might be every bit as good as, you know, the, the big school guys at Alabama and, and LSU at that position. Baldy, when, when teams uh, look at the draft and they look at that safety position in particular, are, are they looking, uh, you know, has safety fallen down uh, considerably in uh, the type of players that they want to draft with, with high value picks? Because you, you got to get defensive line, you got to get, uh, you know, in protection up front on the offensive line. Has safety kind of lost a little bit of its luster in the minds of uh, general managers across the NFL? Not really, but it's just that in the college game, it's such a spread game that you really, you know, it's hard to find just a free safety. Um, teams don't even play free safety in college. I mean, they're spread out all over the, you know, sideline mm-hmm. to sideline. Um, you know, you got, uh, you know, and then, but the big thing is your safeties have to be interchangeable right now. I mean, the, 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 the days of Roy Williams, you know, at Oklahoma, that was just, you know, a big um, weak side linebacker, you know, at safety. You know, he was, you know, your classic box safety, John Lynch. Those guys that were great hitters that really impacted the game in the middle of the field. I mean, if those guys can't cover now, then teams will just, you know, the guy, Kyle Shanahan's of the world. I mean, the, the great game planners, they're going to figure out how to, you know, put you on skates and and blow right by you and get you matched up. And so, you know, that's the problem is you want guys that can tackle. You want guys that have size because when guys like Ezekiel Elliott get into or Saquon Barkley, they get into the alleys, you better have a guy that can get those guys to the ground and you better have some size and some power to you. And so you want those guys at 210, 215 pounds patrolling the alleys. But at the same time, you know, you want them to be able to cover Emmanuel Sanders in a slot if you have to or Travis Kelsey in a slot. And those are difficult matchups. And so they're just hard to find guys that have real versatility to them. And that's why you generally, like a Malcolm Jenkins or whatever, like you generally get your safeties right now in free agency. Yeah, maybe some of those guys are actually converted from corner at some point at the NFL level. And, uh, you know, that maybe sets the, the safety alone position down a little bit. Guys that have moved from corner. And then because they can prove they can cover, but, you know, they're they're big enough and uh, good enough tacklers to handle that b- ability to to take down an Ezekiel Elliott or uh, as you referred to or Saquon Barkley or some of these great running backs in, in the open field. Right. Yeah. I mean, converted, you know, converted like, like you know, the Eagles are going to convert Jalen Mills from corner to safety and you didn't have the foot speed you needed. And so they're going to try him at safety because he's a good tackler and he loves football. And so they'll try him at safety. Um Here's the thing. When teams give up big plays, Jason, it always falls, whether it's touchdowns, long runs, big pass plays, it always falls 
on the back end of your defense. It always falls on the secondary. And almost usually your safeties. Safeties that miss tackles on a Christian McCaffrey, they go 80 yards for touchdowns. Safeties that misplay a ball in the air, you know, um, Odell Beckham Jr. is dancing in the end zone on you. So yeah, that's your last line of defense for a reason. Um, and, and so when, when you have guys in this league that are just, you know, elite tacklers but can cover and can cover great round, you know, you know, tremendous ground like Earl Thomas. I mean, he's still an elite player. He fixes the back end of your defense. Mistakes that are made up front, he can fix them on the back end. And so those guys are just so valuable right now in this business. Yeah, and they let it, they let the front uh, take a little bit of risk because you know you got that protection back there. Uh, great defensive breakdown, Baldy. We can't wait for that on Thursday. Uh, one last thing before we put a wrap on episode nine here, uh, our last episode before the draft. Uh, I saw this story um, uh, that came out of uh, a Facebook live chat uh, with the Tampa uh, mayor, Jane Castor, and St. Petersburg, uh, Florida uh, mayor, Rick Kreisman. And uh, Castor, Jane Castor says, I have to tell this story. She says, I, I, I always tell people, now I'm not one to gossip, so you didn't hear this from me as she's on this Facebook Live. She says, but you know, our parks are closed down and a lot of our park staff, they patrol around just to make sure people aren't doing contact sports and things. And, and they saw an individual working out in one of their downtown parks. So she went over to tell them that it was closed. That person happened to be working out in that downtown park, one Tom Brady, TB12, getting in a workout in the park down in Tampa. Man of the people. I, I, I read the story, Jason, and I loved it. I loved the story. I chuckled the way you are right now. And I said to myself, nothing about that story surprises me. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, Tom Brady could easily, um, could easily get the attention of the Tampa media and say, you know, Anybody that questions my age, my arm strength, you know, come check me out. I'm working out. I got a couple of, you know, my buddies down here. Uh, we're throwing or I'm throwing a high school. You could create, like, he'll never, ever bring attention to himself like that. Uh, it doesn't surprise, none of that surprised me uh, whatsoever when I heard that story. And the only, uh, the only follow-up to the, to the story to me, Jason, is where is he going to go to work out? I mean, is he going to build a bubble in Derek Jeter's backyard of the house that he's renting right now in order to do it? Is he going to fly down to Costa Rica and do it in his castle in the hills of Montezuma in Costa Rica right now? Like he's going to get his workouts in. Uh, he's going to, you know, get himself in the uh, quarterback shape. So uh, it really, the story is to be continued because he's going to get probably booted from some other facility pretty soon. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, Baldy. That's what's made him so great. And maybe this has invigorated, a, a, you know, restoked a fire in his belly moving on. Different situation for the first time in his career down in Tampa. And he, he may even, for all that he's done, he may still feel like he's got something to prove and do it without Bill Belichick, which is really interesting. You know, I, I think there's a lot of that between the two of them, that 20 years. Sure, um, yeah. And, but, you know, I, I think if you wanted to prove that you could do I mean, probably should have tried it a few years earlier when you really were in your prime. It's, it's going to be a challenge to try and uh, prove each other, prove to each other that they can do it without one another. Um, it's kind of tough to do. You know, he's going to be 43 at the start of the season with a new, you know, new regime and new players. And But I, I do think he's going to be successful. Now, is it going to be the Patriot level of success and, you know, division championships and AFC championships and Super Bowl 
I don't know. I don't know if the team is good enough around him yet. Uh, but I. But we're all going to watch. It's all going to be at least one of the top five stories that we're going to pay attention to. Um, you know, once we get towards the season. Yeah, it's going to be one of the most bizarre sights too, seeing him in in that uniform and not in a Patriot uniform. But I want to leave you with this because uh, one of the big things uh, that a lot of people have been talking about on social media this week and a uh, big conversation piece was the Michael Jordan documentary. The Last Dance. Uh, the first two episodes aired on Sunday, uh, and it's uh, it, it was really interesting. And Michael Jordan, by uh, a lot of people's accounts, is is the greatest professional sports athlete ever in uh, North America. Um, when you look at it, 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 does Tom Brady have a claim to that throne uh, as the greatest team sport athlete? Uh, not from an athletic standpoint, but from an accomplishment and greatness standpoint. Uh, can he make the case to be that number one guy over a guy like Michael Jordan? I don't think anybody can uh, usurp Michael Jordan from from the mantle that he's on because it was just the level of competitiveness and the way that he did it and how he made everybody so good around him. I, I don't think that anybody can take that away from Michael even Tom Brady. But, you know, if you want to put your Mount Rushmore together, Tom Brady is right next to, to Michael Jordan. Uh, it's, it's more difficult to do it in football than in basketball because of the number of components and how the draft is stacked against you every single year. Um, I know there's other people that uh, think that Dan Marino or other quarterbacks are better. But for my mind, what I've watched over 20 years, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. And I, I have no problem saying he's the greatest football player of all time, just because of the durability and the level of consistency that he's played in. You know, it's interesting that documentary, I know a general manager in the league that watched it. I talked to him uh, yesterday and he referenced that because in that draft, Sam Bowie went number two mm-hmm. and Michael Jordan went number three in the draft. And everybody knew that uh, Michael Jordan was a better player. And, but yet they took Bowie because he was the bigger guy and uh, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think there's, there's a carryover to the NFL draft that when you have a great player, you take the great player. When, when you know in your mind, one guy is better than the other, regardless of need, regardless of position, you have a chance to take the best player. You take the best player. I mean, Deion Sanders in his draft was the best player. Take Deion Sanders. Take I know they just, just take the best player. You're never going to go wrong in that situation. Michael Jordan in the Sam Bowie draft. I mean, that was the prime example right there. Yeah, it's a great point. And for my money, uh, as great as Jordan was, and I lived it growing up, obviously watching him, but uh, the accomplishments of Tom Brady over 20 years in a sport that's harder to dominate uh, than the NBA. You know, one player can change the fortunes of an NBA team uh, like Jordan did because there's five guys on the floor and the control of the ball. Uh, but for what Tom Brady accomplished over all those years in New England and still may accomplish in Tampa, uh, to me, he is the greatest um, team sport athlete in, uh, that I've ever uh, had a chance to watch. And that includes Jordan and that includes Wayne Gretzky, who dominated his sport so much so that if he, he's got uh, if you take every one of his goals away, he's got more points still than the second leading scorer in the NHL's history. It's it's just amazing. You know, I, I saw something. I saw something, Jace. I know this is football, but I, I saw something about Gretzky, though, that when he retired, 
He owns 61 NHL records. Mm-hmm. And all these years later, he still holds 60 records. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's, only one of the 61 records have been broken since he retired. I, you know, I mean, that's, we're, we're, you know, we're talking Gretzky, Brady, Jordan. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's just hard to uh, put anybody on top of any of those three guys right now. Yeah, and he, and the funny thing about that, he retired 21 years ago on Saturday. So it hasn't yeah. been a, just like five or six years. It's been a long time now uh, since he's played as well. Uh, greatness in sports, it's one of those things that uh, we love. It's why we love sports. We can't wait for it to all get back on the field of play. And uh, coming up Thursday, Baldy, it's a big night. It's the NFL Draft 2020 Virtual Edition. We'll see if uh, teams run into technological snafus and, and how it's all handled by the NFL, the players adhering to the dress code, and a ton more. I know you'll be locked in, I'll be locked in, and everybody listening is going to be locked in as well. Great stuff on the defensive side of the ball. Episode 10, we'll recap it all. 